www.ghostbusiness.org and come into focus for dinner. I'm Peter Cassidy and I don't like Monday, so why not join me and start your week on Tuesday morning at 7 with news, weather, traffic and train information, knucklehead of the week, the adventures of the Tooth Fairy, interviews with people who make a difference in our community, a chat with Kenzo on the Gold Coast, Aussie George in Boston and some music to get you up and about and into our week. Tuesday breakfast, 7 until 10 on 94.1 FM 3WBC. What a magnificent game this has been here today at the home of football, the MCG and the Tigers go forward again to try and get the knockout punch. Punt road in, left half forward, Cochin, wonderful pick up here, past the Martin. Dusty's 30 metres out, oh, over the top to rerun for a goal. And the Tigers are racing away with this game. Thanks, Rex. So when the final siren sounds, how would you like to be celebrated? Find out more at turbanbrothers.com.au. Turban Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Tobin Brothers Funerals are a 3WBC sponsor. 94.1 FM, 3WBC. Monday at 7 o'clock and it is 94.1 FM 3WBC and it's VFL Rewind time. My name is Phil Edwards. I'm sitting in for Brad Mullen who's having a well-earned break this week but joined in the studio as he always is, is Peter Lauschy. Lausch, g'day. Lauschy, how are you? Good, mate. It's a little bit different to have you here after, a, I think the last time we worked together was about three years ago, but um, it's good to, uh, that Brad's having a nice week off and just relaxing. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm happy to take the chair over. We've got plenty on the show tonight. We've got Southport coach Steve Daniel. Southport is sitting on second on the ladder and had a big 68-point win over Northern Bullouts over the weekend. We've also got Mitch White from the Casey Demons. Casey, 11 straight wins so far this season. I think they've had a draw or so, but uh, no losses so far, so they're having a blinder. You were correct first time, 11 straight, no, no draws. So oh, no draws. Yep, they're having an absolute blinder, and we'll have a chat to Mitch and see um, what's different to all the other years. Absolutely, and also later in the show, we've got uh, the former Bendigo Diggers coach, player for Werribee, ex-Fremantle coach, and recently retired uh, Nationals Member for Parliament for Nichols, Damien Drum is on the program. Let's not forget, former Port Melbourne coach as oh, well. Fort Mo- former Port Melbourne coach. He's been all over the footy landscape and has taken that uh, hip and shoulder approach into state and federal politics yeah. of recent times. Yes, and he's just retired recently, so he'll be probably nice and relaxed now. So hopefully we get a nice After footing. being in Canberra for X amount of years, we'll be relaxed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's one place I wouldn't want to be spending too much time. I like, I like Canberra as a place, but I don't think I could work there, especially up on that hill. Absolutely. Well, we've got... Uh, Plenty to go through, uh, including the results from this last weekend of VFL football from round uh, 13, it was. But we are going to start off with the VFLW. It was semi-final weekend, two games on, and our first game for the weekend was between Essendon and Casey, and Essendon had a blinder. 67-point winners, Essendon 11-10-76. 
defeated Casey 1-3-9. Essendon straight into the grand final. Yes, and well done to Essendon. I have got a lot of time for them. They are a side that are playing their best available list um, that they've got available right now. That includes the AFLW players, which I am absolutely wrapped about. We'll touch on that in a moment. But... um, They've undefeated so far this season. They've had two yep. draws, but yep. they haven't had a loss yep. at all. No loss, and um, let's hope they actually get their reward in two weeks' time down at Port Melbourne because I love a club that actually plays their best available um, side, even though there's an AFLW season starting. The AFLW starts in two months' time. Yes, it's a short break, but generally, you know, you've got a chance to win a premiership. You've got a chance to win a premiership. You're undefeated. Why would you change anything at finals time? Yeah, I agree with that. And um, we'll, we'll touch on that with the other team in a minute. But, uh, you know, you look at in the men's AFL uh, competition, mm. um, when teams go deep into the finals, they have a different start time for pre-season compared to the... Um, compared to the teams that went out at the end of the home and away. True. So and they could, could they have not staggered that for those players impacted going into the AFLW season? I believe they could do that easily. And there are some players on lists that also went straight from a Northern Territory Football League season into a VFLW season. There was a buy after round eight. There was a buy before finals. So um, the players are getting the rest. And... You know, credit to um, Brendan Major and his crew out at um, Tullamarine for picking the best available side they've got. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. There was one other game on that determined the other preliminary finalists. So Casey will be the the preliminary finalist against the Southern Saints. And that game was between um, Hawthorne and the Southern Saints at the Box Hill City Oval. And the final result there... Uh, Hawthorne, 6-3-39, were defeated by the Southern Saints, 8-7-55. The Hawks out in straight sets in that game. Disappointing end to the season for the Hawks. Very disappointing end to the season, but... Yes. So you were telling me before we went on air, Laushie, that um, <clears throat> the uh, Hawks and uh, Casey... Mm-hmm. And Southern Saints, and Southern Saints to, well. to a certain extent, right? Had um, had have uh, well uh, going into the AFL uh, W season pre uh, pre season has begun. Yes, and they have made the decision now. Whether they've made the decision rightly or wrongly, that's up to the clubs to decide. Yeah. Um, and so we won't we'll, we'll question it, but we're not going to disparage them for doing it. No, no, no. Um, uh, is that they have decided to rest their uh, players or some of their players, depending on the team, uh, that are, are going into pre-season mm-hmm. for the AFLW side. Now, the the two glaring options we're going to talk about is probably Hawthorne and Essendon because mm-hmm. they are going into the AFLW for the first time. They're yep. two of the, the remaining clubs. And Essendon and Hawthorne have taken very different approaches to that. Agreed. <clears throat> I would argue that, you know, we, we were saying off air before, there, to me there's two reasons. One is they're protecting their players mm-hmm. um, to ensure that they don't get any late-season injuries going into the pre-session, and, and, and I can completely understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, or the other one is is that they're putting more emphasis onto the AFLW season, 
which, again, I don't disagree with, but they've decided to do that and rest their players at Hawthorne, whereas uh, the Essendon side went, nope, we're going to let them go through. Now, I think the proof will be in the pudding Mm -hmm. when the AFLW season starts and if Essendon take that winning culture into that AFLW season and mm-hmm. do really well off the off the bat, yep. And Hawthorne don't, you will go. Well, Essendon did the right thing. Yep. If it's the other way around, well, yeah. you'll go. Well, Hawthorne did the right thing. Yeah, uh, you know, I personally reckon Hawthorne and Essendon probably in the AFLW will probably end up in the middle of the ladder, both of them. Yep. So I don't know if we'll, if we'll be able to get the proof in the pudding, as you no, said, no. straight away, uh, because there are sides, obviously the Brisbane's, the Adelaide's, um, the GWS's that have been there for years and they're sort of, um, you, you know, they've obviously changed their lists over, but um, so they'll probably be those sides that will be so, in that top. So how many players would Hawthorne be taking across into their AFLW side? Uh, I know you mentioned three to me before yeah, the show. Okay, uh, Porter, Shannon, Carbone are definitely three that have been signed. Um, they've obviously recruited um, from other other AFLW clubs like Tilly uh, Lucas Rod, or um, and all, so I can understand why she's not playing because she's obviously not played for um, Hawthorne this year, but she could still play for the Southern Saints if if there wasn't that sort of um, stoppage on it. And, and we will clarify that. If a player is playing for, you know, the Southern Saints or Casey and they've been signed by another AFL, yeah. non-aligned AFLW club, yeah. and that club has said, we don't want them to play, that's a completely different thing. Yeah. Different scenario. Uh, the Swans have that, taken a different approach. They've let one of their players continue to play with the Southern Saints, which is... That's totally up to the Swans yeah. and the Saints if they accept that to say, yep, we're happy with that arrangement and we'll keep on going with that. Now, now in Essendon's case, I think you were saying there was eight. Eight that played on the weekend. That, that are assigned for their seniors, yes. for the AFLW side. And there'll be a few more in those in that list, like Bella Clark from the Northern Territory. I'd be surprised if they don't sign her up as well before the AFL season, AFLW season starts. My argument is I feel sorry for the genuine VFLW player that's played all 14 oh, games. Absolutely. And, you know, they either age or just skill. They haven't made an AFLW list. They've played 14 games and the, the teams ended up first, second, third, whatever. And then all of a sudden half your side or nearly half your side's been pulled out and your um, second-tier players have come in. Is there talk that they will move the VFLW season next year or is it going to be around the same time? I would think they would move it, wouldn't you, if they, if they start they the AFLW? earlier and yeah, finish it yeah, early again yeah. because I think that, to be honest, you, you're going to have to do something or you're going to devalue the VFLW competition. The sooner we align the VFL, the AFL, the VFLW, the AFLW, the better. You know, once everything's aligned, we won't be talking about issues like this. And and I think the other side of that equation as well is that the AFL will need to do a lot of work because mm-hmm. one of the downsides of the AFLW season mm-hmm. being a summer competition yeah. is access to facilities, particularly if they're going to a second tier. Yes. Um, we're, we're seeing issues with just, you know, with the increased uh, interest in women's footy and, and managing for clubs, managing against all 
facilities, they're already having trouble. So yeah. doing that mixed in with the cricket season, they're gonna, the AFL's going to have to do a lot of work there. Talking about facilities, I actually visited an old VFA uh, ground, Skinner Reserve in Sunshine. I'll tell you what, the Western Bulldogs VFL and VFLW players and probably even their AFLW players, they're going to have a fantastic facility there because they're going to do work on the Wind Oval as well. I think they're going to turn it into a boutique stadium, but I think they've also already eyed off um, Skinner Reserve as probably the home for the VFL and VFLW teams nice. as well. And it looks fantastic. So if you're anywhere out at um, Churchill Avenue in Braybrook and you've got time, drop into Skinner Reserve. And if you were there when it was sunshine, she ain't a run-down dive anymore. Excellent, excellent. Um, what it leads to, though, is a preliminary final this weekend, this Saturday afternoon at uh, Northport Stadium or ETU Stadium in Port Melbourne, and yep. that'll be between the Casey Demons and the Southern Saints at a twilight game of 4.05. Beautiful, isn't it? Because it's great because on Friday, the first ever night game gets played there between Port Melbourne and Werribee. The new light towers get a bit of a workout. Nice. So, you know, it's actually a good opportunity. It'll be a bit chilly, yep. but go down there, get a bar of burger, even though they're 15 bucks for all the but anyway. <laughs> but, you know, dinner time, you can go down there, you can go out in the afternoon, yep. go and see a game, and then go out to dinner afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. 4.05 start, you'll be probably finished by about 6.30, and you can go into the city and watch a movie um, or have something to eat. Absolutely. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and then... We'll be back in a moment with our first guest here on VFL Rewind on 94.1 FM 3WBC. And that will be... uh, Southport coach Stephen Daniel. Absolutely. We'll be back in a moment with Steve Daniel. Hi, I'm Peter Van Wessem. Every Friday from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, I present Sounds Australia on 94.1 FM. Two hours of wonderful Australian music. It might be new and emerging music, it could be country, it could be electronic or pop, but it will be two hours of uplifting Australian music. Tune to 94.1 FM or stream from the 3WBC homepage. I'm Peter Van Wessel. Dragon City Tattoos at 893 Canterbury Road, Box Hill is a place for your next artwork. Clint and Luke Baxter will design and tattoo your ideas with precision and skill. They are award-winning and passionate about what they do. Traditional, realism, tribal, portrait, religious, Asian, logos or just the black work. Dragon City Tattoos are experienced in all styles. They also offer body piercing. Open seven days a week. Drop in and talk about your next tat or give Dragon City Tattoos a call on... 9890-2734 or search Dragon City Tattoos on Facebook. A proud sponsor of 3WBC Football and 94.1 FM 3WBC. Ready, set. For easy automatic trucks, budget's good to go. One of Australia's largest rental fleets at great rates. All you need is a regular car licence. Book now at budgettrucks.com.au or call 13 27 27. With Budget, you're good to go. Budget Rent-A-Car Blackburn is a proud sponsor of 94.1 FM 3WBC. (laughs) 
94.1 FM, 3WBC, it's VFL Rewind, and it has just gone 7.15, which means it's time for our first guest, and uh, he's coming off the back of a big win against the Northern Bullants yesterday. The Southport Sharks, 2014-134, defeated the Northern Bullants on their home turf, Preston City Oval, 10-6-66. It is the Southport coach. Steve Daniel. G'day, Steve, and welcome to VFL Rewind. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You've had a pretty good start to the season after a big, and a big win yesterday. You'd be happy where things are sitting at the moment? Yeah, look, we are, obviously. We're, we're going along okay at the moment, but it's, it's actually been a little bit tough up here. So for the group to be, what are we now? I think that puts us at nine and two. The group's just so resilient. Um, look, we've had some shocking weather up here. Obviously, you would have seen down there in, in Victoria and um, look, it's just been... We haven't been able to train on our ground, unfortunately. So we've been training on running tracks and hockey fields. Wow. And it, yeah, it has been... It's been a little bit tough, but the boys have been great. They uh, they just keep rolling up and turning up every week, which is fantastic. I was I was going to ask how you've been going. Obviously, you're travelling quite a bit uh, in, in this season, the last, and coming to Melbourne in the cold weather, but you've got your own weather woes up there. Yeah, that's correct. Obviously, you would have seen... The, the water and the rain that we've had up here, our ground was actually completely underwater there at one stage and it just didn't recover. So uh, we've got a very good relationship with the Gold Coast Sun. So when they're not using Metricon, we get on there now. And then when I say Metricon, I'm, that's oval number two where they train on. Yep. So we use that. We use the running track uh, at Runaway Bay a, a fair bit. And also we use the hockey fields just up the road. So... Look, it has been frustrating, but look, we're we're going okay, so we don't uh, we won't be uh, moaning about it too much. G'day, Steve Lausche speaking. Um, great chatting with you yesterday after the game. Um, good sixty-eight point win. Um, what happened in that third quarter, mate? You um, sort of had a massive second quarter, and then in that third quarter it was um, five points to four goals. Yeah, look, we we obviously weren't real happy with that, and if I've got to be honest. Um, I, uh, I threw it back on the boys a little bit, actually, at, um, at half-time. I, I actually asked them what they wanted to get out of the out of the third quarter, and they set a couple of goals, and um, I'm not sure whether we went out there just thinking or just expecting it just to happen, and it just, it just went the other way. I, I thought the Bullants were terrific. Um, uncontested marks, and I think they had near 30 in that particular quarter, where they were averaging 15 in the yeah. first two quarters, so... They really got us. So that showed we weren't defending well enough, and that was something I brought up at three-quarter time. We didn't panic at all. We still thought we'd be able to turn it around, but five shots at goal, I think about three of them, unfortunately, just fell short on the line because mm. uh, we were kicking a little bit of a breeze. But you look at the inside 50s, and I think we still actually um, outscored them inside 50s by maybe one or two. So the quarter wasn't disastrous. We just couldn't score, and the boys were terrific. <laughs> What really impresses me about the Southport line, apart, you know, you know, three WBC and VFL Rewind have adopted you as their second side. Um, um, we obviously have to say Box Hill's the first side because we cover all their games, but we right. will be catching up with you. What really impresses me with you guys is the spread of goals. You had eleven goal kickers yesterday, so you know it's not just Townsend. It, you, you've got that sort of unpredictability, which is fantastic, and it's probably the reason you've been so successful apart from a couple of hiccups against Richmond and Casey earlier this year yeah look that, that's something we look at the start of the year when we're putting our list together obviously Mitch Johnson's been our leading goal kick for the last couple of years and unfortunately Mitch got injured there 
um, at the start of the year, and he, he missed getting in the, in the team. And uh, he made he uh, what did he play? Played one game, I reckon, about five weeks ago. And the poor fellow had done his knee again. Um, so he only come back on the weekend against the Bulldogs to actually play his first game. Uh, so we usually relied on Mitch a lot. But now you've got Townsend down there. It's great putting big frays and, and Braden Crosley, of course. One plays in the ruck, one can push forward. And they're both quite damaging when they go forward as well, which is really good for us. And our smalls have been terrific for us in, in Pesket and King, uh, Selby. They've been great. So it's, it's been really good. And Boyd Woodcock, man, what a fantastic game yesterday. 30, 36 disposals, 18 kicks, 18 handballs. He yeah. thoroughly deserved to win the Alexander Aruccio medal. Yeah, look, he's a great little player. We're just so lucky, you know, we were able to pick him up and it had a little bit to do, obviously, with um, Matty Primus, our assistant coach, being a, a Port Adelaide uh, boy himself. Of course, we're obviously coaching and playing over there and his connections with the Port Adelaide Football Club. And we heard that um, young Boyd was thinking about moving up here. It's all to do with his girlfriend, actually, who's a professional runner. And she was moving up here for her training and everything else. So we're very lucky to uh, to get onto that, and we're able to entice him to come to our footy club. So obviously a great pick-up for us. Um, you know, he's a great fellow to have around the, around the footy club. What is the attraction to the Southport Football Club? What is the selling point of the Southport Football Club? Because I've just done a count of, of the players on your list, and I think there's 18 former AFL lister players on that list. Um, how do you sell the club to it? Because I know, I know the club's a fantastic club. I've been up there a yeah. couple of times. But to have so many ex-AFL players in that salary cap that what you've got is fa- fantastic recruiting. You've got a fantastic recruiting team there. Yeah, look at let me tell you, it's quite hard. But there's one thing that we do have, and look, we're pretty honest with it over the, the teams down in Melbourne. COVID hit pretty much um, Melbourne, as we know, really, really hard. And I think a number of the boys in the end just wanted to get out there, get out. I know that's Brad Lynch, who's no longer with us. Um, he's playing at the local club up here at the moment. Broadbeach, but yeah. He was one that, yeah, Lynch, yeah, he came up here, of course, Billy Gowers, Lucas Webb, yeah. um, and this year too. And, I suppose, and it's quite funny, we're getting a few managers now and, and players ringing inquiring already for next year. I suppose we play in the, in the second-best competition in Australia in, in AFL football. Well, I'll, I'll put the South Australian Footy League, of course, up there as well. They're, they're yeah. terrific too. But we play in the second-tier-best competition. You get to live on the Gold Coast mm-hmm. and you get to travel home to Melbourne every second week. So they get to see their family. They get to see everyone. Obviously, Southport's a fantastic setup. Um, what we've got at our disposal in the club, uh, culture's unbelievable. They've always been a very successful side. So it, it's it's just great they're in the VFL now. And, and um, you're right, we we are able to entice a, a lot of good players to our footy club. Personally, I think they just had a VFL meeting uh, just during the week. I think everyone was down there. We'd obviously like the the salary cap to to go up to try and uh, keep our players because. As you can see, a number of standalone uh, clubs down there at the moment, uh, coaches that I've spoken to, unfortunately, lost some good players due to your country leagues down there that obviously offer a a lot more money than what, um, of course, the VFL clubs could. So we don't quite have that problem up here either where they they get pinched like they do down in Victoria. Yeah, right. Now, um, before we let you go, you've got Frankston this week uh, down at Frankston. No, it's up there. No, oh, it's, no, up it's up there. there. No, it is up there. Sorry. Frankston, yep. uh, you've got Frankston up there, I should say. Sorry, I did read that wrong and I was in my head thinking something else. What, what are you taking into this week? Frankston are obviously coming off three straight losses, but um, they've proven that they can uh, play any team on their day this season. 
oh, look, we'll treat it exactly like we did the Bullange game on the weekend. Um, I threatened our boys Thursday night that uh, if they were to drop this one, being the Bullange on the weekend, because you can always have a, a drop in mindset preparation when you're coming up against teams that you're, you're expected to win. And all of a sudden, you, you find yourself in a little bit of trouble, as St Kilda did against Essendon, obviously, last Friday night. So, Frankton's no different. They come back from, what was it, seven to eight goals down against Colton and yeah. ran over them in the last quarter. Fantastic. When they're up game. and going, yeah, when they're up and going, I saw them firsthand uh, round one. I went and watched them live against Werribee uh, under lights. They've got some really good players, and um, they can beat anyone on their day if they're up and about. So, we'll be taking it uh, just like we take every game. Uh, we'll be up for it. The boys will be well prepared for it. And uh, Frank's will be up for one hell of a fight on their home deck. I messaged one of your more senior players before and go, can you give us some dirt on Steve Daniel? He goes, I've got plenty <laughs> of funny stories, probably none appropriate for radio. <laughs> SJ is an incredible coach. The relationships he builds with players is what makes him great. Who do you reckon said that about you? Look, if I had to have a guess, I could have been any one of me, me 40, but uh, no. Look, I, I do have a good relationship with a lot of them. Um, my two captains, of course, Jacob Dawson. Um, I'm the... just completely surprised why he's not on an AFL list. It blows my mind, in all honesty. But anyway. You hit the nail on the head uh, there. There was Jacob who gave me that information. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I was going to say Jacob Dawson or Mickey Manteep would be right up there because I'm only thinking now, I'm putting my cap on, thinking you only would have rang one of my... Uh, one of my captains. I did see a photo of you with Mickey Manteet uh, holding a jumper up um, after the game, so I thought one of them might have given me up. Which which jumper was, what number jumper was that last year? Uh, 1,493. Mickey brought me down one of the heritage jumpers, which I was very happy about, so because um, Southport jumpers are very hard to get, so I was very happy to um, acquire that jumper to the collection. And You've done very well, mate. You grab that. Steve, if you're throwing any jumpers out, don't give them to the op shops. Just send them my way. <laughs> Oh, certainly will, mate. I certainly will. Excellent. Well, Steve, we're going to let you go, but we um, good luck against Frankston this week, and we'll see you uh, at the Box Hill City Oval on July 9th. Yeah, in about three weeks, Steve. No worries, so, boys. Thank you very much for having to talking me on to you show. No problems. Thank you very much there, Steve. Thanks, mate. Bye now. There you go. Steve Daniel, the coach of Southport, who are having a great start to the season, 9-2. and two. He's a ripper fella, Steve. He actually coached Taitura in the Goulburn Valley Footy League. So if you hop on YouTube, you'll see one of the most inspirational three-quarter time grand final speeches that Steve Daniel gives Taitura. He also was an assistant coach at the then Northern Blues. So it was a bit of a homecoming for him yesterday at Preston. Absolutely. Now, I, this is a challenge... This is a challenge for you, Laushi, and yep. a challenge for me and for Brad, who's I'm sure listening out there. Yep. What we want next year yep. is we want some more sponsors for the footy coverage and VFL Rewind. Yep. Because if Box Hill play a game against Southport yep. at Southport, yep. I think we have to go. No doubt. Like, um, the Southport Footy Club gave us some really f- positive feedback, um, how they really like how we promote the club in Victoria. And we love Southport. Like, I've been at the club a, a fair few times, and we're, we're happy, and we are going to go and have a chat to their media manager, Cameron Smith, about organising some of the lesser lights, uh, lesser lights in the sense of names, what Victorian listeners wouldn't know. And it also gives those young guys media practice before they get the Channel 7, putting the microphone in front of them at finals time so I look forward to um, 
working with Southport for the rest of this year and hopefully we can um, get some sort of um, uh, uh, arrangement in place for, for future years as well when Box Hill have got buyers or whatever and they play in Melbourne, we, we can maybe, the dulcet tones of Phil Edwards and Peter Larish go all the way up to the Gold Coast. I think we could do that. We could do that very well. We can do a VFL rewind from the Gold Coast yeah. too. Well, I've promised Cameron that we will get a Southport legend instead of a, a VFA, v, VFA segment. We'll, one week we'll get a Southport legend on, somebody like a Zane Taylor. Oh, I, I think one. next year, if yeah. we if we do go up there for, for a game, if providing Box Hill plays, of course, yep. I reckon we just we can do a Southport VFL rewind. Like we'll just do Southport people. We do yeah. it, do it up there. Yeah, no, love love the idea. Like um, you know, the facilities A one, you know, get out of a cold get away for a weekend away from Melbourne when it's, you know, what, five degrees here and twenty five up there. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll look at a, a couple of games and then we'll take a break before our next guest. But uh over the weekend in this round um, 13 of VFL action. We heard our first game, of course, and that was uh, Southport defeating the Northern Bull Ants. On Friday night, Carlton, uh, 11-9-75, defeated Footscray, 8-8-56. A 19-point game there for the Blues. Yeah, good win by Carlton, and they've been playing some really good football Um in the VFL this year, so they'll be there in the finals. I think that loss might have put the first nail in the coffin for Footscray. So I'm starting to think they're a little bit too far far behind because I reckon probably 11, maybe 12 will get you into that um, top eight. So they're, I think they're four and seven right now. So they virtually would have to win the rest of their games this year, the Doggies. Absolutely. Uh, for Carlton, uh, Honey kicked four goals. Ben Crocker kicked three. Yep. Uh, Jesse Glass, McCasker, Will Hayes. Yep. Uh, Alex Murkov, Will Setterfield all kicked singles. And yep. for the Bulldogs, three for Josh Bruce, one for Hayden Crozier, one for Lockie Hunter, and singles for Lockie Hunter, Will Lewis, Ewan McPherson, and Lachlan Sullivan. See, a lot of senior players in that Footscray side, so that makes it even su- more surprising that, uh, that they actually um, went down to Carlton. But they are playing good football, Carlton, and at Icon Park, they're a different proposition as well. Absolutely. One more game and then we'll uh, go to the break, and that's between Sandringham and Essendon. Uh, Essendon 15-14-104 defeated Sandringham uh, at the Trevor Barker Beach Oval, I believe, by 14 points. Yes, good win by Essendon. They're starting to come good. Um, they've won three games now, so hopefully they can double that by the end of the year because um, at one stage it didn't look pretty. It looked like they were going to replicate um, the Western Bulldogs women's side and be zero at the end of the year. But um, they're starting to come good, which is good for them. They won't be in the finals, but they'll have something to build on over summer. Absolutely. Look, what we're going to do is we'll keep uh, talking about what's been going on in this round of VFL action, but we are going to take a short break and we'll be back with our next guest, Mitch White from the Casey Demons, straight after this on VFL Rewind. MR Davis Constructions have been building quality new homes for over 35 years. Let Mick and Robin project manage and build your new home or renovation. Their experience and guidance along with attention to detail and integrity shows why MR Davis Constructions have been at the top of their game for nearly four decades. MR Davis Constructions also build decks, pergolas and gazebos and are members of the Master Builders Association of Victoria. So give Mick a call on 0418 558 695. That's 0418 558 695. M&R Davis Constructions are proud 11-year broadcast sponsors of 94.1 FM, 
3WBC Football. Opinions expressed on 94.13 WBC are those of presenters and guests. But as a member of the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia, the station subscribes to the Community Radio Broadcasting Codes of Practice. If you have a complaint about something you've heard on this station, you should address it in writing to the President, PO Box 159 Box Hill 3128. Copies of the Codes of Practice are available online at cbaa.org.au. 94.1 FM, 3WBC. FM, 3WBC, VFL Rewind. It's just gone 7.30, which means it's time for our next guest guest to join Laushi and I on the phone. Um, They're not coming off a win this weekend, Laushi, because they had the bye, but they are 11-zip for the season. They are taking on the Gold Coast Suns this weekend, and from the Casey Demons, we do have on the phone as our next guest, Mitch White. G'day, Mitch. How are you? Good, thanks, fellas. How are you? Good. You'd be happy with how things are going so far this season for the Demons? Yeah, well, it's hard to not be happy, uh, to be honest. Um, I think we're, as, as always, a football club is, we're always looking for those ways to get better. But, yeah, we can't really ask for much better start. You're looking forward to the warmer climate of the Gold Coast this week, Mitch? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my uh, fair skin probably would argue against that. But, um, yeah, mate, when the... Uh, the uh, leagues were joining. That was the, the first thing I thought of. But nothing better than if it's raining down here and we get to shoot up to the sunny Gold Coast. What have you attributed the great season to? Because you know you've got. Um, it's not just the Melbourne list of players that have really turned it on. It's also the the Casey list of boys. What what's different this year about all the other years at, at Casey? Um, well, nothing really jumps out specifically that we've exactly changed, but. Um, just in terms of a program, we really pride ourselves on our development and really coming to training with a, a mindset of wanting to improve and um, and grow your game. So I think the growth has really come. But obviously, as you said, like the, the AFL quality class is there, but our growth has sort of come from the boys who are coming in and out each week, so our Casey-level players. Mm. So they've all really come in and, and played their role perfectly. But a few boys that have played out of position or... Um, or had to come in and shoot to a different position late. So uh, we've had boys like Riley Baldy, who's trained as a midfielder all year, and then uh, first game in, finds himself in the back pocket and stays there for the next three weeks. So I just really attribute to boys just really testing themselves at training, just getting the best out of themselves. And Jimmy Munro, mate, he's just having another pearl of a year. He won the best and fairest last year, went up and played virtually all the season for Waratah and the NTFL, and he's just kept on going. Um... Do you think he'll um, possibly get a look in in November in the draft? I know he's a top-up right now, but um, the way he's going, there's no reason why um, a club wouldn't pick him up. No, 100%, mate. Um, I, I think he's been around long enough now that it doesn't phase him either way, but I'd love to see him get a shot. Um, I think if you put him in an environment where you get his disposal up a bit, a bit better quality, I've always rib him about... Um, handballing all the time instead of kicking. But, um, yeah, 100%. If he gets into a, 
a program. I, I'd, I'd love to see it. And he's got the the will and the intent to, to go as far as possible. And he's unbelievable tank and want to hunt the footy. So you can't really ask for much better mix. So no rest for the wicket for yourself on the weekend. Four goals for Cranbourne. Um, who was the great man who signed you at Cranbourne? Because I spoke to him before I came on the air and he goes, make sure he, um, Mitch mentions me. Uh, uh, Dom Carousella. Yeah. He's a uh, wheeler and dealer of all sorts. Uh, he's and, a good man, Dom. And the, sec- the second question is, is there a chance that we can get Jake Carousella a game as well at um, Casey? Because he's on the development list down there. Yeah, mate. Uh, well, there's definitely scope there for it. Uh, he's improving every week and um, by all reports, his, his footy's come along leaps and bounds at local and I've definitely seen that well, like a couple of games I've, tra- I've, I've played down there he looks at that level above he's just he's clean and really good disposal it's just probably getting a shot for an, an opportunity to pop up I think um, it's just been one of those things like footy always is it's about timing and if a soldier falls down and someone else is maybe not available then he gets his shot so um, it'd be great to see, to be honest. Um, he's a good friend of mine, Jake, as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fingers crossed for him, but we'll see, have to see how we go. Now, some players embrace going back to local footy during the buy, some hated. Who makes the final decision on whether you go back to your local side or is it you or is it somebody at the Demons or is it a sort of consultation process between um, the two clubs and yourself? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a consultation. It's more from Casey's perspective because... Um, Cranny, the boys are on the phone to us straight away as soon as they get a sniff that we've got to buy. So um, <laughs> Dom's, a, Dom's always the first one to call me to see if I'm playing. So they they um, love having us down there. And like, obviously, we love going down there as well. But, um, yeah, it's more of a conversation just around where you're at, how many games you've played. And um, at the end of the day, from players like myself and uh, Jimmy Munro, sort of you've been, you've played long enough to sort of know your body and know how you're feeling. Um, so it's one of those things, if you feel good and you're happy to go, then by all means, go have a run. Um, but it's sort of, if you flagged a few um, niggles or anything, then um, it's they go, oh, maybe you should think about wrestling, but it's never, no, you're not, you're not playing. We've sort of got a, a free reign, which is great. And H has pushed that all year. So he's been pretty transparent that, um, it's going to be a conversation. It's not just going to be free grain, but yeah, thus far it's just been yeah, I feel good to play and yeah, shoot out there. You've probably got three or four more games to play before you qualify for the Cranny Finals because they're flying along just like um, Casey. Um, Jimmy Munro has he got into the ear of any of the boys down there about a Northern Territory season? Uh, yeah, he loves it, mate. Yeah. He's, he's tried to recruit me every second week up there. Um, <laughs> it is great up there. Yeah, he can't get enough out of it, mate. If he, could, if he could play three times a week instead of training, I well, like anyone, he would. So, <laughs> but uh, that's the, the other conversation is that he's well, he's probably played another five or six games on top of everyone else on that season. So yeah, mate, he just he just can't get enough of it. Um, with um, the Gold Coast, are there going to be any players that are going to be managed, uh, or the buyer has just been been enough for the players? You know, the ones that are a little bit sore. Um, is there sort of um, a plan to take, say, an extra few players up there just in case um, some still feel a little bit sore from a sort of the midway mark? Yeah, I, I can imagine there might be some sort of thought around it or um, some contingency plan. Uh, but in terms of, yeah, we've just come off a buy. The boys, that, as, we, as I said before, there's a conversation that if you're a bit sore that you rest. So um, fingers crossed they're coming in pretty uh, healthy. Off that one, so yeah, it's just you. If you pick the player, you're deemed to be fit. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. We're about to we're 
going out into our meeting in about 20 minutes, so we'll find out whether there's going to be any extras. But they try as best they can to let the boys play at local as well, because obviously if you're an emergency, you miss out on your game, and then it puts you back two weeks almost. So. Do you like travelling up for the game, or would you prefer to be at home in your normal routine? Uh, well, this will be the first time we've done it. Um, okay. So it's yeah, a bit of an unknown for us. Uh, I was speaking to Matty Buntime before about uh, about it actually because he's well versed in um, travelling. So yeah, I'm um, I'm not too fast really. I think if you've got a pretty simple routine, which I just get up, go for a walk, and um, have some brekkie, it's not nothing too fancy. So you can do that anywhere. Um, so hopefully we can keep pretty um, close to that, and yeah, we should be right. And how was the experience? Um, probably more more for the Casey boys. Um, of playing on the MCG against the Swans a few weeks ago. Yeah, mate, it's unreal. I don't think you'll ever get used to it or get enough of it. Um, but, yeah, you can definitely see you walk out on the ground, there's a few wide eyes, um, and the boys, are, you can't wipe the smiles off their faces. So, yeah, it's definitely an experience that um, the boys are lucky to have, and they were definitely grateful for it. Excellent. Well, we're going to let you go. Mitch, thank you very much for joining us. Good luck against Gold Coast this week, and good luck for the rest of the season. No worries, fellas. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thanks, Thank you very much there. Mitch White from the Casey Demons, who are, as we said, having a great start to the season, sitting nice and clear on top of the ladder. And uh, unless something bad happens, they're going to be there at the end of the home and away season. But at one stage, at one stage, we had Casey Demons on top in the VFL, the VFLW, and the Melbourne Football Club on top in the AFL. There you go. So it just shows when everything goes well, it really goes well, and um, Melbourne slash Casey are in a very healthy position right now, so the girls could still make the grand final. Absolutely. So we'll see what happens this weekend for that. We'll continue looking at some of the scores. Um, I think we did the Werribee. Did we do the Werribee? No, no, we skipped the Werribee game for the Sandringham Essendon game. That's right. We went for the Sandringham Essendon. We'll look at the Werribee Geelong game. Werribee 16-16-112 defeated the Cats by 63 points, 7-7-49. Werribee, the last two weeks, are playing some real good football. They've won four in a row. So for a standalone club, a Victorian standalone club, they are coming. They, they had a bit of a topsy-turvy start to the season, didn't they? They did, yeah. They sort of um, had a few surprise losses at home, which is very unwearably-like. But um, against Richmond, they looked fantastic. And from what I saw against Geelong, they um, really turned it on. And this week, they've got Port Melbourne. So two standalone clubs on a Friday night um, going up against each other. You'd probably say Werribee's the favourite right now just by form. Uh, I know Port's playing at home, but Werribee could make it five in a row. I'd get down to, to Northport. I'll be down there. Night. I'll be down there. Nice. Bit, bit of history. First night game there. Absolutely. Well, uh, new, and the, I think you said before, new towers down there, is that right? New light towers, yeah. So, so probably the only few cl- the other only clubs that really need to get quality light towers now are probably Coburg and Preston, but no doubt I'd say the city of Moreland and the city of Darabin are probably already thinking about that because um, it just brings such an extra element to the VFL and it sort of opens it up for other sports as well. I'd love to see an night game at Box Hill, but I just... I have a feeling they're a bit gun shy on it because they're, they're so close to some residential properties. 
Yeah, well, we'll wait and see. Hopefully it does happen, but um, hopefully some sort of development happens. Like, it'd be nice to get a new commentary box, wouldn't it, as well? Well, that'd be nice. I can tell you that. <laughs> anyway, we'll go one more game, and then we will take a break and come back with our last guest for the night, and that's between the Gold Coast and GWS over the weekend. It was the Gold Coast by 56 points, 18-11, 119, defeating GWS, 9-9-63. Yo-yo sort of season for uh, the Giants. Like um, one minute they really turn it on, and then the next minute they look pretty ordinary. But they've won six and a half games so far. But the games that they've lost, they've lost, they've lost by a fair amount, and they've looked pretty ordinary. Right there, you go. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more VFL Rewind and our final guest, Damien Drum. Straight after this. With 400 metres left to go and the Say It Now stakes, what a race it is. I wish I did. Was going to say it. I should have. Ahead of I Never Told You I Love You. A length away is regret, remorse, followed by In the Living Years. But here comes Tobin Brothers. Say it now. Tobin Brothers, say it now. What a champion. Thanks, Brian. So don't wait till it's too late to tell loved ones how much you mean to them. Say it now. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Tobin Brothers Funerals are a 3WBC sponsor. Dragon City Tattoos at 893 Canterbury Road, Box Hill is a place for your next artwork. Clint and Luke Baxter will design and tattoo your ideas with precision and skill. They are award-winning and passionate about what they do. Traditional, realism, tribal, portrait, religious, Asian, logos or just the black work. Dragon City Tattoos are experienced in all styles. They also offer body piercing. Open seven days a week. Drop in and talk about your next tat or give Dragon City Tattoos a call on 9890-2734 or search Dragon City Tattoos on Facebook. A proud sponsor of 3WBC Football and 94.1 FM 3WBC. 94.1 FM 3WBC. FM 3WBC, it is a VFL Rewind. We've just had our last break of the show. And we do have our final guest on the line. He uh, was, of course, an ex-Fremantle coach, coached the Bendigo Diggers, played for Werribee, and most recently was a um, member of parliament for the National Party, uh, but has since retired. But we do have on the phone Damien Drum. G'day, Damien. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Great to be here, fellas. How are you all going? Good, good. Lashy, I'll let you start it off. G'day, Damien Peter speaking. Tell us about the journey from Geelong to Werribee. How did that happen in um, 1991 when you um, finished up your um, then VFL career with Geelong? Yeah, well, it was one of those uh, things. I thought the time was, uh, I thought my time was all and truly up. So I was looking to do something else. I was thinking I wanted to coach. And I, I went down to Tasmania to check out North Hobart at one stage. Uh, and, and it was it was very positive to go down there, but in the end, I was having trouble. I, was, I had a business in Werribee, and I was sort of con- committed to the business. Mm. And then the opportunity came to just to um, continue the business and play and be an assistant coach at, Wer- at Werribee, and that was just the way to go. And it, it presented itself really well. And uh, Leon Harris was the coach, and he was just a wonderful wonderful fellow and I was really happy the way to move into that environment and uh, the Werribee boys were, were a great great club to be a part of. 
didn't take long to get your own gig solo, did it? Only two years of Werribee and then it was on the road over the Westgate Bridge to Port Melbourne. How did that eventuate? Well, I, I was just about, as I say, I, my, my body was just about pierced at, uh, you know, at, at the top level at, when I was with Geelong. And, and then so I had two more years sort of eking out every game which I think I could with, with Werribee. But by the time 1990, uh, 1993 rolled around, I just couldn't play at that level anymore. And uh, Werribee were very keen to get a playing coach um, and therefore... You know, they were looking elsewhere. They were looking for players to step straight out of the AFL uh, and they went for Donald McDonald, which was a great result for them. Uh, however, Port were a little bit more... They were, Port were happy to get a non-playing coach and uh, that happened relatively quickly and um, certainly they were a great club as well too. Uh, a bit of a baptism of fire to move in from uh, a little country boy that doesn't know much about Port Melbourne to all of a sudden find yourself coaching and, and sort of uh, throwing yourself into that sort of uh, social environment. Uh, you know, a pretty amazing experience at Port Melbourne. And then after Port Melbourne, you uh, you moved up to Sydney as an assistant coach at the Swans under Ron Barassi. That would have been uh, a, a good learning experience, I can imagine? Yeah, just the most amazing learning experience to work under Barassi. Uh, he was a man who was incredibly tough incredibly straight. If he thought a player wasn't playing well, he would just tell him. If he didn't think they were good enough, he would just tell him. <laughs> he thought the truth. He could always tell the truth without having to worry about any consequences whatsoever. And that was a period of time at Sydney where they were rebuilding effectively the culture of the club, weren't they? Rebuilding every part of it. Uh, it was in a, in a horrible place. You know, we, We'd been getting some horrible defeats. Uh, the list simply had been made up of people who were sort of going there uh, after their first first choice club hadn't sort of wanted them uh, and we had a lot of this you know second hand players playing at Sydney and um, Barassa's job was to effectively move them on uh, look at the ones that uh, were going to add real value but just bring in the kids and he brought in the kids and he had a really strong future uh, based around these kids and then he was also at the end able to bring in four or five really good senior players as well. That, uh, you know, like Tony Lockett, Paul Ruse, Kevin Dyson, Stuart Maxfield. These guys really uh, gave the club a, a huge boost. But the resurgence was based on the kids. After your five years doing an apprenticeship as an assistant coach under Barassi, it was off to the other side of the country, um, Fremantle, which took um, a few people by surprise because you were also in negotiations with Collingwood, weren't you, at the same time? Oh, well, the Collingwood... The Collingwood negotiations were going on sort of behind the scenes and, uh, and they weren't quite sure whether they were going to change coaches, stay with Tony Shaw. Uh, in the end, they were sort of a club that was a little bit uh, torn themselves uh, as to what they wanted to do. And in the end, um, you know, I, we, we decided, I decided that maybe Fremantle was a better option and, uh, that, and Tony Shaw stayed at Collingwood for that fourth year for him. Um, so it was a bit of a, a, a difficult situation to go through because Collingwood, in a sense, we look back, they were doing the wrong thing by having those conversations throughout the course of the year. Uh, but I suppose, you know, in, the, in hindsight, they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to be outwardly uh, and publicly, um, you know, interviewing other coaches while, while they were still committed to Tony. 
And how did you see the list when you arrived at Fremantle? Because at that stage, Fremantle was still a fairly new club and it was the sort of poor little sister or poor little brother to um, the West Coast Eagles. Um, what, what was your initial thoughts of um, the Fremantle Football Club when you arrived there? Well, at various times, uh, when I was at Sydney uh, as an assistant coach, Fremantle had actually beaten us a few times. Now, we found them very quick, found them difficult to play against. Uh, however, some of the players that sort of helped him in those first couple of years were from other clubs and they'd sort of gone over there more or less to finish their careers. And again, uh, again, this was the, the stroke of timing here, but uh, you know, by the time I was picking up there and coaching them, uh, many of those players more or less had to be moved on again. So mm. it was unfortunate that this often happens when you're setting up a new club bring in a few players for two or three or four years um, to give your club, you know, an impetus and some backbone. But it just didn't seem, you know, we just just probably didn't have the players that we needed to compete at that level. Um, and then again, we had to more or less go down the veracity path of, of recruiting the best kids in Australia and then hoping that they would uh, create a backbone uh, within the Frio Dockers. Now, you, you went from a, a, a tough gig at the Swans with the rebuilding, tough gig at Fremantle, but nothing could have prepared you for the Bendigo Diggers, mate. <laughs> how, how, how were the Bendigo Diggers um, when you got there? Like, was the, the office was out the back of a service station, wasn't it, or um, where the general manager was based? Yeah, pretty well. And I, I worked out of that office as well. <laughs> uh, it was pretty tough. Um, and... Oh, and simply boils down to two issues. Uh, both the Bendigo football community and also the Ballarat football community, they really didn't ever embrace VFL or VFA. Yeah. Um, so you had these incredibly strong clubs trying to, with footballers that were just brilliant for country football to be located in those two major cities. But they never really had the full backing of the football community. And that's probably because yeah, these, you know, the, the um, North Ballarat uh, VFL, VFA team and the Bendigo and the Bendigo um, diggers were, were effectively trying to compete against 100 years of tradition. Trying to, trying to take good players away from clubs that have been there for 100 years. Would it have been different? Would it have been different if, say, the. Um, AFL Victoria had approached, say, Eagle Hawk, Golden Square, Sandhurst, whatever successful club up there, and tried to lure them out of the Bendigo Football League into the VFL? But that would have effectively been the North Ballarat model. Yeah. Um, and that can be, say, maybe slightly more successful. Hmm. Um, but, again, um, in the end, it didn't sort of work. And I think what, what we have to realise, that running a local club and at country level or, or Melbourne suburban is really really tough work mm. raising money developing players you're bringing through your volunteer base and therefore to bring in this you know these Johnny come lately that everyone's telling you is in the best interest of footy mm. uh, that might be my belief and it might be your belief but it might not necessarily be the belief of people who have committed their mm. social lives to uh, supporting local footy clubs around the uh, country Victoria so, you know, that, that, I think that we were, we were seen as a threat. I certainly understood it. I just didn't agree with that. I thought the opportunity to develop players to make them really top players that have three or four years, five years, chasing their dream in the VFL and then 
didn't make it in the VFL, they would then go back and coach locally mm. with a whole heap of experience and knowledge and skills that they previously might not have had. Um, and that was always my view was that these VFL teams in the regions uh, were a fantastic option. I've got one more question to ask before we get stuck into politics. Sure. <laughs> How do you find the game today compared to when you were coaching um, likes, dislikes? Um, uh, I think as much as the game changes, the game is still based around your ability to win a contested footy and then your ability to use the ball well. So the players today are bigger, stronger, faster uh, in the various positions. Uh, their skill level is better. I enjoy watching it, but I really love watching the contest. Uh, so who can, who's strong in the air? Who's strong over the ball? Who holds their feet? Who's genuine when they put pressure on the opposition? Or who's just putting in a, an effort just so they don't look as though I'm not interested? So there's this genuine attack on the footy, genuine attack on the man. Uh, that's what I look for and love. Uh, and I, I reckon the game's in pretty good shape. I think the, the stand rule the stand rule that was introduced last year has made an incredibly positive impact on the game. And it's got players, it's got teams and coaches now going forward quicker. And whilst the game keeps going forward quicker, I think we will love it. Uh, when our game starts to look like hockey or soccer, uh, then we will we will shy away from it in droves. And people that you know go running down the boundary, running down the wing and looking up and seeing nothing but opposition. Mm. And the stopping still and going backwards which is just to drive people away from the game. So I think the game's in great, great uh, shape. I think if Steve Hocking was the architect of that rule, you know, stand on the mark, give the bike with the footy, great opportunities to go forward, then I think that's been a fantastic thing for the game. Excellent. Well, uh, and I've, well, we'll get into the politics side of it, but I'm going to keep it in the sports side. You've obviously spent many years uh, in both state and federal politics, but for a period of time you were the Victorian um, Sports and Veterans Affairs Minister. Putting that hat on, and we've got a state um, election coming up soon, what would your, if you were taking on that portfolio again, what would your priorities be in a perfect world for you know, uh, improving sports environments or grounds or leagues or government support for, for sporting competitions in, in Victoria? Well, in a, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, I think what we have to do is look at uh, participation and uh, making sure that we have strong numbers um, that are coming through all of our sports. Um, you know, I was very upset when I found out about sport of soccer actually charging juniors a levy that, and that levy would go up to the A-League. I said, well, hang on a second, you've got so many new Australians that have got kids that are wonderful at soccer. But the registration fees, you know, were $200, $300, $400, $500 and a levy was in that registration fee to play local soccer out of Pakenham. There was a levy in there that would go up to the top level. And to me, that was like flipping footy and cricket funding, flipping it on its head where the top is making the money and filtering the money back down for junior development. So I was really upset when I found out about that structure. And I, I really wouldn't know now whether or not that is still the case, but I would be looking at a financial structure in every sport that 
going to make it cheaper than what it would otherwise be for kids to get involved in sport. And it really doesn't matter what sport you get involved in. But if there's a way that governments can make it easier by subsidies, then I'm all in favour of that. Excellent. And final question for you. You've retired from federal politics as of the last election. What's next for you now, Damien? <laughs> well, I'm just, try- I'm just enjoying the break at the moment. Um, and it's been uh, a long time coming. Yep. So I'm really enjoying the break. Uh, I went and, watched the, went and watched the Werribee game on the weekend against the Cats, uh, the, and that was a, an amazing game. Werribee did really well to win that game. Um, and I've watched a bit of local footy here. My old team, Ken Governor, are doing well in the, in the uh, Murray League. Uh, so a little bit of Golden Valley Football League. I've been to watch two Geelong games this year, so catching up with the Cats and catching up with Werribee has been fantastic. Um, so I just... Um, I'm waiting for the right opportunity to get back involved in uh, work or sport or whatever it is. Um, But I just don't want to rush. I'm just enjoying the break and um, I'm looking forward to getting back involved in something sooner rather than later. No no problems at all. Well, thank you very much for joining us on VFL Rewind tonight and uh, good luck with your your break and your next endeavours. Thanks, Damien. Thank you very much there. There you go, Damien.